Welcome to Level Up Academy, the podcast that's dedicated to the higher education community that brings you countless stories of employees, students, and faculty's journey in this remote world we live in. We are expanding our podcast to business leaders and community experts who are sharing their adversity that each one of us experience and share their story to inspire and inform our world. This is your host, Dr. Leland, a serial educator an opportunities designer and a compassionate leader. Hello, Level Up listeners. Welcome to today. Today, I have a very special guest. Introduce yourself, Shane. Welcome to Level Up. Hello, I am Shane Thrapp. I am a, a certified ADHD life relationship and career coach. I have been a servant-based leader uh, for 15 years, and I've taken that skill set to help people with ADHD. I am a a board member of the Inattentive ADHD Alliance, and I run the largest men's ADHD support group on Facebook with uh, an amazing friend of mine, Mark Almodovar. I'm very happy to be here, and we've had some pre-conversations here that have been pretty amazing, and I'm looking forward to this conversation that we have coming up. Me too. I love it. Tell me a little bit about, I'm going to ask you to kind of sum up like your 20 years of life from where you started 20 years ago till today. You know, it goes back further than that because I'm 40. Uh, No, but I I grew up in the rural South, right? And, you know, I grew up in a really, like, really, 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 like, backwoods community community. And my dad was uh, you know, abusive alcoholic. You think that redneck imagery, that's exactly what it was. I grew up on a farm. I was raised in a really fundamental Christian uh, cult, essentially. And I just always thought it was weird, right? And, and that went through all the way through school and never really fit in. You know, I learned early on to put on masks so that I wouldn't be too out there. You know what I mean? And I kept wearing that mask all the way through, uh, going, trying to go to college and trying to figure out what I wanted to do for a living. And then I fell into management. And that's kind of where everything kind of starts. I, I, I kept finding myself in these management roles, and but I was bouncing from job to job. You know, I, I couldn't, I didn't, I get bored really easily, right? And I, you know, wasn't diagnosed or anything like that with ADHD or autism, and I, I kept getting bored and bored and bored, but I, I keep fall, falling into these management roles. And eventually I just kind of, I kind of just like leaned into it. I said, okay, well, if I'm a bounce from job to job, I might as well do it professionally. And so I became a um, project manager, a contracted freelancer pro- project manager. And I would go into a company and I'd say, okay, I'm signing up for a three month project, an eight month project. And I'd sit here and I'd work, you know, 10 months out of a year and then take two months off, you know? And uh, went through a really abusive marriage that was horrible for me. Kind of fell into some hard times at one point. Became homeless a couple of times. And, you know, was dealing with a lot of stuff, right? And then um, working for a major company and... You know, doing a lot of travel work. I was traveling from site to site to site, and this was like the greatest job ever, ever for me. That company kind of lost a major contract, so I wound up just like chilling in, in here in North Carolina. And then I met the most amazing woman in my world, and 
she helped me kind of turn everything around and then started like getting back into the project management gig and started kind of going through. And then I had a breakdown in 2016. Like, you know, I had just recently found out that I had ADHD and autism and I had kind of like started really digging into that a whole lot. But then as I was uh, getting sicker and sicker after 2016 in 2018, my body just said, no, you know, I was a project manager in, uh, for Cisco at the time. And Cisco is amazing, by the way, I love working for Cisco. They, they said, okay, what do you need? You know, obviously you have this diagnosis of ADHD, you have this uh, diagnosis of general anxiety disorder, and obviously you're on the autism spectrum. Like, like what kind of accommodations do you need? And I said, I, I think I need to be able to work from home. And of course, Cisco being Cisco, right? They're like, okay, that's not a problem for us, you know? So we set up a home office for myself, but in October of 2018, my body was just done. The social anxiety was so bad that even working through Zoom and, and having to be in place five, six days out of the week and working constantly like that, I was just finding myself that my body was shutting down. I, you know, I had fibromyalgia and the more my the more stress I was under and being a project manager for Cisco is a very stressful job, especially on the project that we were working on, which I'm not really allowed to discuss. It it just got to be too much. And so finally I became bedridden after a while and I was having to work from my laptop <laughs> in my bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I kept driving, right? Cause we have that, we have that inherent need as, as men to be providers, right? Even if, you know, we don't really recognize that we're, we may be providers, but we're shutting ourselves down, you know, but then everything went south, everything, you know, and, my wife was amazing throughout everything. She's always been a rock star. She's a special needs teacher. Uh, she knew I had ADHD before I, I knew I had ADHD. Like <laughs> early on in a relationship. Like I, to kind of go back a little bit, like my oldest son had been diagnosed with ADHD through his school. And so I started learning about it and I was like, oh, I think I have ADHD. And I went to my wife and I said, hey, I've been doing all this research on ADHD. And I think I have it. And she was like, oh, honey, yeah, you, yes. And I was like, <laughs> you knew? And she was like, yeah, I knew. It's why I like you. And I'm like, wait, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, what does this mean? <laughs> so she was like, well, you got to get diagnosed, you know, we'll, and we'll go from there, you know. And that was a struggle in all on its own. Like that's a whole story of its own. Like, you know, it took me three years to get diagnosed. I, I went to one psychiatrist. She said I had depression. I went to another psychiatrist and he was like, you have bipolar, you know, because I had taken medication for depression. And when right. you take medication for depression, you get hypermania. Yeah. And if you don't have the ADHD being treated. And so when I went to the second psychiatrist and told him what was going on, he was like, oh, yeah, you have bipolar. You're, you're, you know, here's other medication. Well, if you take that bipolar medication, when you have ADHD, <laughs> you start getting really weird. Like there's like weird psychosis <laughs> wow. that start happening for some people. So anyways, all of this had been going on all, all at the same time. My wife had been a super rock star. Um, I finally wound up getting diagnosed, not just with ADHD, but also being on the autism spectrum. And, you know, and then once I had the nervous breakdown and then I had the body breakdown, I was like, holy cow. And this entire time I've been researching ADHD, 
right? That's because that's how brains work. You know what I mean? I wanted mm-hmm. to understand that part of it. And um, so in 2019, you know, my body shut down. My 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 brain is kind of fried. It's it's I'm at my wit's end. And then my wife goes, "So happy Christmas!" And I'm like. Yes, she goes. You have a present to open, and I'm like, sure. And she's like, open it, and all it is is three pregnancy tests, and they're all positive. And I'm like, what does this mean? And she's like, what do you think it means? And I'm like, did you triple? Yes, of course you triple checked. Wow. And so in January we found out of 2019, we found out that she was pregnant with twins. Wow. And oh no. Yeah. As you know, throughout all this, though, I, I kept. I kept having a need to be able to lead people, right? Right? You know, there's in that that inherent need yeah. once you figure it out about yourself that you you need to be um, in charge, right? I needed that, right? I needed to be helping people, and that's my leadership style, servant based leadership. I help people. I give them the tools that they need, right? I give them the support that they need. So when it came around to trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life. You know, I knew I couldn't just sit still, right? I needed to find things that I could do with my life where I was fulfilling my purpose. And so um, through a lot of hard work and a lot of different uh, coming to Jesus moments about myself and who I was and what that meant and learning about myself and learning about what it meant to be a leader when you can't be in the corporate world, I came to life coaching and specifically ADHD life coaching, relationship coaching, because it's all kind of included in there because we have a hard time with social uh, situations. Mm -hmm. And then of course, career coaching, because we bounce from job to jobs. It all kind of falls into my ballywick because ADHD is really difficult for people who are adults and who get diagnosed late in life, or maybe were diagnosed young, but never really did anything about it because the drugs that they were given when they were, you know, 10 just completely screwed up their brains, right? And so uh, that's what I do now. So I, I'm i an ADHD life coach, and that's 20 years of history right there. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think I'm going to want to meet your wife for sure. She's a rock star, like you said. It's an amazing person to to love you because you know how sometimes we just want to be perfect in our relationship especially the very beginning because we don't want mm-hmm. all the negative to be out but for her to see your negative as a positive it's an opportunity to grow together as as one and i love that what an amazing human yeah and here's the thing though i it was the irony of all this is is because i was in that really abusive relationship Whenever I had gotten out of it and after just going through a lot of hell of being homeless and and dealing with the drug addiction again and going through all the different stuff that I was dealing with. And then, you know, I got to a certain point in my dating world because one of the things that we do, like I said earlier, is that masking, right? Yeah. Like we, we present this mask to the people around us and especially when we're dating where we assume the role or the persona that we think will bring that person to us without knowing who we really want, Mm -hmm. right? We have a certain aesthetic that we're looking for, right? We have a certain um, personality profile and a certain type of person we're looking for, but we don't really, when you have ADHD, there's not a, our metacognition, the self-awareness system of our brains is a big part of the issue that we really face. 
you know, the prefrontal cortex, the, the executive functions, the emotional dysregulation, all of that is kind of all bottled up as, as a big part of um, ADHD. But the biggest issue for a lot of us is the metacognition, like I said. And that's the who, what, when, where, and how, and why of you, right? That's the, that's how you know who and what you are and when you are. And when you don't know who you are, you don't really know what you need or want from people. And I finally got to a point where I just said, you know, I'm going to be who I am. I don't know who that is yet, right? I know the things that I've done in my past. I know the struggles that I've faced, but I'm going to be who I am regardless of what it takes. And that's what I put in my dating profile. And that's what drew her to me. That's what made her accept me. And of course she has, she has this like testing system. Like, can you say something positive about your ex? I happen to be able to do that. Right. You know, she's like, what are your social, what are your social beliefs about things like LGBT and stuff like that? And I fit her political uh, uh, category. And then she's like, what is your feelings on mental illness and special needs? And of course, I had had this whole history of all this craziness. And so when I told her that, she started laughing. She goes, you're great. Let's talk. Aww. And so if I hadn't been in that place to be authentically who I was, you wouldn't matter. then she wouldn't have, she would have been okay because I would have said something dumb, right? Yeah. I would have said something that would have put her off. And then, and that's the problem with masks, especially when you have ADHD, because we aren't socially aware, the mask is just a little bit weird. It's a little bit off. And it sets off this, you know, uncanny valley effect on people, right? You know, you know, the uncanny valley where the, the, the bot, the robot is just a little bit too close to human, but not quite. Yeah. And that makes people uncomfortable. And that's kind of what our uh, mask as an ADHD or does, you know, because we're not quite understanding of social norms. We don't do it right. And she just took the time to really take, to really understand who I was and understood that these things weren't negative about me, that it was not a bad thing for me to be this way. And then she said, okay, you know, our big thing was like, well, you were a 0.75 at that time, but we grew to be a one. <laughs> yeah. You know? Working so, at uh, it. Yeah. And, and it just, and it's a continuous process. That's actually very amazing. Now, I wanted to go back a little bit when you said, you know, you've done a lot of management, right? Especially with Cisco program management. What traits and skills do you feel are the most important to becoming a leader? The willingness to become a leader. That's the biggest one. Like, right? Sometimes you don't want to be the leader, right? You don't want to take charge and things like that. But you know that somebody needs to step up. And you have the skill set and the, the ideas that need to be listened to. So you step up. There's some people who are born inherent leaders, right? Those things are kind of uh, there. And that's great. But, it's, but to me, uh, a leader is the person who steps up when they recognize the need. And that's kind of where I came from, right? I kept getting into these positions where I saw an opportunity and I said, I can do that. I may not even been qualified at the time to do it. In fact, in most cases, I wasn't qualified to do it. But I knew I knew how I did things. I knew how I could learn, mm. and so I understood my learning mechanisms, and I would develop the skills I needed as I went along to be able to 
be the leader because what I was really good at inherently was managing people, right? The processes I could learn, right? I could learn the, the information about the companies. I could learn all of that stuff, but I went into every situation understanding how to manage people and how understanding that if I gave them the tools that they needed, the resources that they needed, the support that they needed and the encouragement that they needed, that the people underneath me would get it and get the job done the way it needed to be done. Because I may be new, right? And remember, I was jumping from job to job and yep. I, was, I was a contractor. And while I was learning all of the different processes and stuff like that in place with the company, I was also giving those people the resources and things that they needed. Did you need to talk to a subject matter expert? Do you need a specific tool? Do we need to put in place a logistics process? Do we need to put in place a different storage methodology? Do we need to put in place different people? Do you need better, uh, do you need an assistant? Do you need somebody who can give you research? Like what kind of things do you need? And that's what I would do every time I went in, right? The first week I'm out of place, I'm sitting here going in, I'm saying, what do you need? They tell me, I sit here and say, okay, I'll go to bat for you for this. Is this realistically what you need? That's kind of how it worked out all the time. I was able to go in there. And so I think it's just that willingness to understand that people need things to get the work done. Mm. And if you're a new manager or a new leader, you depend on the people who have been there and give them the tools to, to get the job done and they'll get the job done while you're learning the ropes and getting your feet wet. And if you've been a long-term manager, you need you have to learn delegation and how to give people the tools that they need and give people the support that they need because they're, they've been doing it. They've been doing the grunt work. And so recognizing that and getting away from that authoritarian style um, really is what, one of the biggest things I learned as a leader is just, you. You, you can tell people that hey, I want this done. That's cool. But do they have the tools to do it? Right. Yeah. Do they have the resources to do it? And you have to understand that you have to take that step back and say, okay, how do I get them to get it done instead? Now as managers and also a leader in your space, how do you actually get people, you know, you've seen people where they're really good at something, but they're not meeting company standards. They're like just hanging on to that thread where you're like, you're going to exit soon if you don't bring yourself up. How do you actually lead those people? Like, what are your approach? What is, what is the main approach that you would use? First, we got to see what obstacles they have in place, right? What 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 is preventing them from making the needs? Is it inexperience? Is it lack of understanding? Is it training that they need? Is it the environment that they're in? Are they dealing with a lot of stress at home or in their personal life? Like you got to figure out these things and figure out what, what the obstacles are that are preventing them from doing the thing. And then you got to look at what is the company giving them realistic expectations, right? Are they in the right role? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm thinking about it like this. Uh, so say you have a software engineer and then you have a, um, somebody who's just a pure coder, right? That's that's all they're good at. Or maybe even website development coding. Those aren't the same things. Mm -mm. And if you put a website developer into a software engineering role, they're going to struggle and they're not going to be able to meet the things. You know, some people can step up and figure out the coding and figure out the language that they need to speak, but sometimes that's, that's not always, always possible. You know, sometimes you have a person who understands Excel, amazing, but they don't understand Ruby. Right? They don't understand R programming or Python programming. You know, and so you have to figure out, are they in the right role with the skills that they have? 
do they need to be shifted to a different position or do they need to be have a, and, and do we need to bring somebody in to do that kind of work? And so these are the things that you have to look at from the company side of things. So once we understand their problems and the company issues and making sure that we're meeting their correct expectations from there, it's giving them the tools and then it's holding them accountable, right? That's the difficult part is like, okay, we're going to check in every week to make sure that you're uh, feeling good about this and give you a performance uh, evaluation and give you feedback so that we understand that everybody is copacetic and on board. And then go from there, right? Maybe they have a disability that they didn't uh, tell anybody about. Maybe they have ADHD or autism, or uh, maybe they have a, a mental health issue like depression, bipolar, or something along those, along those lines. Maybe they have a sensitivity to the lights. This is a big one, actually, mm -hmm. because sometimes fluorescent lighting in an environment can give people massive, nasty migraines, right? And so, like, people don't know this about themselves, and so... While as a leader and a manager in a corporate world, we really don't need to dig into that that health aspect of it due to like HIPAA laws and yeah. things like that. We do need to make sure that we are saying, okay, do you have things that are causing you not to be able to work in this environment, right? And 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 giving them the ability to give us that feedback and things of that nature, and then giving them access to HR to say, you know, do you need to go speak to HR about any accommodations that you may need? Right, that's a really sensitive way to say do yeah. you need accommodations without prying Prime into to their, their medical needs. Yeah. And then getting them into the HR develop, um, program to say, okay, I believe this person needs help with this. Can you all discuss this? They're, they're qualified to have that discussion. They actually have the paperwork and all of that information available. And then they can come back to me and say, okay, this person needs these accommodations. Are those realistic accommodations that we can, as a company, make, right? And so it's kind of a give and take. And then it's just kind of recognition that at some point, maybe they're not a good fit for the company, yeah. right? There's not a role for them to fulfill and they're not able to do this role satisfactorily. And as a leader, that sucks that you can't do that. But if you've done your due diligence and given them the support that they needed or that they told you that they needed and they're still not following through with what they're supposed to be doing. Then that's it. You, you can't do nothing. See, right. I think that's a difference between corporation, which I've worked for corporate world for 20 years. Um, but that's the big difference is that I feel like in the corporate world, it's a little bit more leeway. They really care about their employees. They dig deeper, just like what you've explaining. You're empathetic and you're trying to be a servant leader, like you said. But in the in education industry, feels like think of a manufacturer, and that's how it feels like in the education industry. Like you can't make mistakes. If you make mistakes, there's another adjunct that's gonna get your job. You can't say you have this mental disorder. You can't because there's no room. And if you can't function in your job in a live class, therefore you don't deserve to this job. You know, it's that feeling. Uh, I think as as a, a a professor or a teacher that is an, is so different in the corporate world because you guys actually dig deeper and really care. With us, it's like, oh, you can't do one, two, three. You're out of the rubric. I don't think you're good for this job. Bye. You know, it's not, and there's no benefits really because adjuncts is a part-timer, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it's such a different um, paradigm, you know, different, different ways. Now, what do you think leaders can do to promote success in their teams, even if it's in the education industry or like part-timers? I think in that system, they need to be pushing back against the, the people above them. 
right? The only, here, here's the thing. Like, we can't change the the system of our society unless people are going to step in to change the system of our society, right? That's the big. That's one of the biggest problems with ADHD and uh, autism. Our society and our civilization, the, the way our world works, and especially here in America, it's not set up for people who are neurodivergent, right? And this is kind of the same thing until people kind of sit here and say, okay, I'm not going to put up with this, right? I'm not going to allow you to minimize the struggles that I'm having. It's the same thing in systems like fast food or or in the education system or things like that. We're seeing it now in the education system yeah. where teachers are saying, okay, cool, I'm out. Yeah. I'm going to go Do something work for else. my brother's pizza shop, right? Yeah. And, and so now we're seeing the school suffering and people are starting to recognize, okay, what do we do? Well, you pay your teachers more, right? Or And you figure out the benefits that they need because like – my wife pays like $900 a month in insurance, right? Yeah. On top of not getting paid well as a teacher since yeah. she, we, she works in here in North Carolina, that's a big deal, right? It is. And, and so like the same thing has to go. And she's been she's been sitting here being kind of vocal. Hey, I need this kind of support. I need this kind of support. And the same thing needs to happen in higher education where they are either going to understand that they need to give people the support that they need and hear it and do it, or they're going to start losing the qualified people that are around them. And if you're in leadership in that role, in that world, and you're not standing up for your people, then guess what? You're going to lose those people. Then you're going to lose your job because you're not able to maintain people who are able to be qualified to do that role because the, 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 the people who come into that job aren't going to be as well qualified as the people who are getting paid better money. And it's going to keep, it's going to keep going up and going up and going up until they're like, okay, well, the Dean is going to get uh, uh, taken out of the school because he can't keep good uh, supervisors and leaders in place. And he can't get the results that are needed to be uh, done like this until the leadership starts recognizing that from the ground up, it's going to keep failing them. Then they're not going to get anywhere. And so that means people need to be stepping up and speaking out and saying, my people need this to be able to do their job. And we have to be able to give these people the, that are qualified the money and the resources that they need to be able to do their job uh, well. And we cannot keep bouncing people in and out of the system. We have to keep people who are qualified, who can stay for long periods of time and give them the money and the resources that they need to do these things and the benefits that they need to keep those qualified people. That's the only way you can do it. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing in our society today from the ground up. I'm hoping it's going to change and slowly. I mean, um, for SNHU, we were just recently, I think, uh, on the world's like top 10 best schools for women to actually work for. And they are amazing because they support, they train, and they do make you feel, even though it's a huge organization, like we have 8,000 teachers just for the MBA program, and I'm part of that. And I do team leading for them. And they're amazing because they do training. And if you make mistakes, it doesn't feel like, oh, you're going to get canceled, you know, your contract. It's like, okay, what kind of training do you need? What do you need to to fully get that? And I love that. But there are organizations I work for, we're going to name nameless, that don't do that. And it's like, how do you stay, you know, in, in your space to, to keep all these people that you really have? They're good people but you just keep pushing their value down. So yeah. Now, before we end, I have a um, 
It's Holiness Dalai Lama. I actually was watching his interview, and he said, "Change begins within you. Use compassion to change your world, and ultimately our world." So my question to you is, how do you hope to change the world, Shane? My biggest hope is that by speaking on podcasts like this, by doing public speaking gigs, by reaching out and informing people about neurodivergence, ADHD, autism, mental health issues, the more I inform people of these issues, the more that they start recognizing in themselves that there's a problem, that they are not being able to. Work within the culture that we've developed over the course of our history, and understanding that they don't fit into this, and it's not their fault, right? And then they start working with psychiatrists and therapists and getting themselves healthy, and then starting to stand up and speak out against the. The stigma of mental health issues, the stigma of having autism, the stigma of having ADHD. I feel like the my my purpose in life is to be that driving voice in the system that goes to the corporations, goes to the podcasts, goes to the YouTube channels, and brings awareness to the world about how to get our world to understand that the mindset that we live in needs to change, and we need to be accepting neurodivergence as the Benefits and boons that it brings. Awesome, because how would my listeners support and recognize people like yourself who's highly functioning, but sometimes don't have the right tools because they don't, they have never been diagnosed, right? And how do they, how are they able to recognize those things that they're like, you know, I really need to talk to somebody to see because I'm having the same issues that we're talking about here. How, where did they even start to to figure that out? You know, they don't even need to know if they have if a, the person around them has ADHD or autism. They don't need to know that. You know, if you see a person who struggles with being in social dynamics or has issues with their memory, or has issues with paying attention to things, or has issues with, you know, being socially awkward and things of that nature. Here's the thing: just be their friend, be a positive、uh, person in their life, give them support, give them the encouragement that they need, give them the, you know, give them somebody who they can talk to and feel safe with. You know, see. Here's the thing about、uh, helping people with ADHD or autism or, or mental health. Everything that you can do to help any of those people will help neurotypical people as well, right? Giving people positive feedback, giving people positive support, giving people positive encouragement by being just a nice person and and forgiving the mistakes that they made by but by also helping them with learning from the mistake and learning how and teaching them how failure gets to success. Giving these people this positive environment, regardless of who they are or what they deal with, will help the world get better. True. Just being nice, right? A lot of people today.、Right. I know. I always tell that myself, my and my team. I said, you know, I think I would want if there's anything that I want business leaders to do is go back to kindergarten.、And、they're like, what、mm-hmm. do you mean? Because when you're five and you're kindergarten, your teacher will like be nice, say thank you, say please, open the door for somebody if you're a few, you know, like all those nice things that you learn. And I think people as an adult need that. 
because people are so on edge nowadays. You know, you cough, you're like, oh, I don't have COVID. You know, like you literally, and you sneeze, you're like, no, seriously, I'm fine. You know, and you keep sneezing. It's just allergies. Like you, ha- you feel the need to explain yourself because they gave you this look and it doesn't help with people who already have social anxiety. Okay. It just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I had, I had a blast. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. If you have any questions, email me at lua, L-U-A, at levelup by Doc Leland. Doc Leland spells D-O-C-L-E-Y-L-A-N-D dot com. Lua by Doc Leland dot com is open for consultations and courses will be offered soon. I will see you in the next episode. Stay connected, informed, and inspired. Until next time.